man, a top 15 coach of all time goes to Cancun again. The Spurs has the rest of the league turning into Jesse Pinkman. You can't keep getting away with it. And loyal to the soil, Dame Lillard claps back at Blazer fans. I'm Rosa Panta. This is a clinic all-NBA podcast. I have the two hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? Ooh, feeling good, feeling great. How are you and you? Man, I'm feeling good. John, how you living, my friend? You know, I thought I'd be pretty sad, but actually I feel somewhat confident. Maybe that's just delusion. Oh, okay. Feeling pretty good about your Lakers. We do have to talk about, about them. They are the first topic for today. Let's see. The Lakers lose to the Nuggets 108 to 103. The Lakers started off really hot this game. Mm-hmm. And it really seemed like they really figured some things out. I'm sure we'll talk about what adjustments they made from game one to game two. But, I mean, Jamal Murray catches fire in the second half. So does the rest of the Nuggets team from deep. What were you guys thinking as this game is going on, Jay? So, the first thing that I want to say is that when you have your two superstars that don't come in the fourth, trying to beat an MVP away, in a playoff game, it's going to be damn near impossible to beat that team. So I did want to give props to the bench players. Austin Reeves played his ass out tonight. That dude has heart, John. I give him major props. And your boy Rui Hachimara, he came out swinging. Kept the Lakers in the game. Um, And I think the game, it really turned south for the Lakers when LeBron James started settling for threes in the fourth quarter. I was watching that quarter and I felt that if John, if um, LeBron kept driving to the basket as he did during the fourth while they were up, you guys had the game in the bag. But once LeBron James started settling for threes, that's when Jamal Murray caught fire and he responded with his threes. I like what you said in the beginning of the pod, John, that you felt comfortable because I just feel that the Lakers with that front court defense, I think they'll be able to come through. And what do they say? The playoffs, they don't start until the team wins an away game. And when you guys go back to LA, role players get better. And you know that LeBron James, one of the best ever, is ready to respond. LeBron James? Yeah. I mean, to prevent myself from looking completely delusional, I'll, I'll preface with this. <laughs> Being down 0-2 is not great. I understand that. You're in a, you're in a hole. You don't want to be down 0-2. I would love, have loved the, for the Lakers to win these two games. But my take on it is that they, these losses are self-inflicted. I mean, for game two, the Lakers pretty much controlled the majority of the game. But the Nuggets came in hot in a good four or five minute span and credit to them they were making tough shots but the lakers had an opportunity to blow this open when they were up by 10 points and they made dumb mistakes they made bad turnovers they lost their coverages and like jj said lebron settling for threes is the biggest it's the biggest mistake for someone his size his speed his ability to get to the rim it's it's you're literally giving the defender a free pass a get out of jail free card so to me I think that the Lakers, if they can go up or at least win serve at home, which I think they will, 
B down B tie two two, and then it'll be a best of three series three series. And of course, you have to win one on the road. But from what I've seen in these first two games, the Lakers had an opportunity to win both. If they came out with energy in the first half of the of game one, I feel like that game was also winnable. So. Again, being down 0-2, not great. I don't want anybody to look at me, man. Oh, there goes another delusional Laker fan. There's plenty of them. Don't get me wrong. I will. Admit, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm on Lakers Reddit, man. I I know what some of these fools say. So, <laughs> like, Ro, do you? What are your thoughts? I mean, to me, I I'm not saying the Lakers are going to win this series, but I honestly feel like they have a good chance to come back from it. So I, I think they have a good chance to come back from this. Um, the only thing I don't feel great about is that the big counter that the, we haven't talked about this yet, but the big counter that the Lakers had to Nikola Jokic absolutely going nuclear in game one was putting Rui Hachimura on Jokic so that LeBron James and AD can basically play center field, right? In the middle of the court, causing havoc on defense. They were there for help defense. We saw the Nuggets struggle with it early on, but once like Jamal Murray started to hit his shots, Bruce Brown started to hit his shots, like it just did not look as tight as it did the first half. The thing I'm concerned about is that if they continue to shoot well, like Jamal Murray, like I need to give him flowers, okay? Because this guy returned from an ACL injury and all of a sudden he is not even back to form, like bubble form, he is beyond it. He's absolutely beyond it. I don't think I've ever seen Jamal Murray play this way ever. I'm completely surprised. This is exactly who like Nikola Jokic like needs next to him. And if he continues like this high, I guess this high performance, level yeah, level of play, I'm not sure what the Lakers can do to counter because these past two games, I feel like the Lakers have gotten decent participation from Reeves from Hachimura every once in a while from Russell. Like what else can the Lakers do to get over this hump? That's what I'm concerned about because I feel like all around the Lakers have been playing pretty well. So one of the things that stands out to me as I'm looking at the stat sheet here is that Jared Vanderbilt had played 16 minutes. And I and I know that Schroeder was on Jamal Murray for the towards that end of the game when he got on that heater, right? Right. I know Schroeder's a good defender, but I feel like the size and the athleticism of Vanderbilt would have been better served to put on on Jamal Murray. So I don't. I'm, and I understand that Vanderbilt is a an offensive liability. You're essentially playing four and five out there, but to me, when someone is on a tear like that, and what do they say in NBA Jam? On fire. When he's like that, you <laughs> you got to put that fire out. And I feel like Jared yeah. Vanderbilt is that guy they, they should have put more on. And so I'm, I'm a little curious as to why and I, I guess I would say it's because of this offensive liability I mean JJ do you think that because Schroeder is just too small and I feel like Jamal Murray was just shooting over him you know he's a bigger body he's able to get that separation so for me I would have put Vanderbilt on on Murray and tried to put out that fire the, you're, the first game John when you guys were catching up from that deficit you had a large lineup where you had Reeves and LeBron James taking up the ball. And I felt that was the best lineup. And I think um, your coach moved away from that. To be honest, D'Angelo Russell should not be starting, especially in the series. They need to adjust to that. You got you got to have Rui play more minutes 
within the starting within within the starters now. Like it's time to make that change, especially with how consistent he's been within the last two games. Yeah, Rui Hachimura yeah. is like, it's like found money for you guys. Like I didn't think that he would be this much of an X factor. I thought Austin Reeves was going to be that dude, but Rui Hachimura has really. This is he's the piece that needs to do. Game. Yeah, absolutely. He's elevated Go ahead, his game. He's elevated no, his game. Say. While D'Lo is nowhere to be found right now. Yeah. D'Lo like I... is definitely fumbling his bag because he's a free agent. <laughs> I mean, like, it's one <laughs> that, but, but really, I mean, he, everybody would think that he is the third best player, that he's the guy that's going to come into his own. Mm-hmm. The thing is, he's such a, def- he, if when he's not scoring, it affects his game, obviously offensively, but it affects all aspects of his game. He's not a great defender to begin with, but like when he's not scoring, he doesn't really bring value to the court. So yeah i'm I'm with jj man i think you've got to cut his minutes if he's not if you give him a short leash if he's not on fire or hitting those shots because he's streaky you got to pull him man i like i don't know if you guys agree with that but i'm i'm with jj i'm i think i'm with jj as well I, and i just look up looked up uh d'angelo russell's stats from the first game he only had eight points he was a negative 25 on the plus minus today he was negative 16 so d'angelo russell just kind of looks like his kind of outmatched like this picking on him. Yeah. This is not his game. When it was against the Warriors, it seemed like he could kind of pick his spots and he could get hot every once in a while. But these past two games have not been well for him. I would almost like to see one more minutes for Rui Hachimura and a little bit more Lonnie Walker. Just because sometimes I think you guys just need that offensive little boost that they were doing against the Warriors so well. Um, yeah, anyway. he can drive. Lonnie Walker has the athleticism to actually get into the paint and, and break down the defense, right? D'Angelo Russell doesn't have that. I mean, he's good off the pick and roll. He's kind of, he can pick and pop. But I feel like that, that, may, be, that may be the move. But yeah. if it's not Lonnie Walker, it's just cutting D'Angelo Russell's minutes. 32 minutes for him. And then, you know, you're getting like 12 for Lonnie, 16 for Vanderbilt. I feel like you can give those, those minutes more, especially Rui, like you said. Rui had 30. Maybe bump that up four or five minutes, you know? So game five, or sorry, game three. Um, looks like it's in a couple days. John, I know you're picking the Lakers. You got to pick the Lakers. That's your team. What does it look like when the Lakers win game three? Well, I can tell you that AD shooting four for 15. <laughs> is, if, that, if the Lakers win him shooting four for 15... I will say that the Lakers are going to win the series. They're going to win four straight games because that shouldn't happen. And that's why I'm, I'm actually amazed that they only won, they only lost by five points. But again, like JJ said, it's because guys that don't typically play well on the road, like your bench and role players, crushed it tonight, which is Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves, right? Even LeBron James, had, for his standards, had a pedestrian game, even though he shot nearly 50%, 22 nine and ten that's a great game for anybody else but lebron james you know what i mean like especially in the playoffs we're used to 35 12 and 10 obscene numbers so for me that's where we'll start is that anthony davis cannot shoot this score like this i mean i know he's a great defensive player he is our anchor defensively i don't think anybody would deny that but again like you are getting paid superstar money. You have to play like a superstar at both ends of the court. And you're 30 years old, man, so no excuses. Not for me. JJ, I'm going to have you play the opposite side here. If the Nuggets 
win game three, what does it look like? It's going to be... Four, three. <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be Jokic and Murray. That, that's, that goes unsaid, but if they're going to win, you got to have Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown play their game. And they've been playing their games at home, but it's a huge, totally different monster, especially going to La La Land. So Michael Porter Jr., I mean, he's been playing okay. Some of his decision-making, um, I question. And Aaron Gordon, um, these two players, I'm not quite confident that they'll play well in LA, but if they do win, like if I'm playing the role as you're asking me to do, those two will have to probably go off for more than what Michael Porter Jr. had tonight, which is 16, and Aaron Gordon, what he had was a 10. Yeah, and those two have been playing pretty well this series. I'm going to take us actually to our next topic here. We have to talk about the Celtics versus the number eight seeded Heat who took down the Celtics 123 to 116. They literally stole this game. Everyone was expecting the Boston Celtics to win this, except Shaquille O'Neal. How did this happen, guys? What do you guys see from the Boston Celtics? What do you guys see from the Heat? What is going on in this series so far? Uh, the Celtics are doing the same mistakes that they've been doing for the past few seasons. Turnovers, ill-advised shots, and basically just not being clutch when you need to have to be clutch. And it's the same old story, right? It's like um, Marcus Smart taking a three-pointer when you don't need to. Tatum driving to the basket and not finishing. Or just missed assignments or these really questionable turnovers like... Yeah. Not even defenders defending. They're just turning the ball over. So that that's like my whole assessment. They didn't even, they didn't, the Heat, they won the game. And I respect the Heat. But I'm also going to say that the Celtics lost it. Yeah. Because they have a more talented roster, John and Jun. It really felt like they lost it. I feel like once the Boston Celtics started to come back, I'm sorry, the Miami Heat started to come back because it looked like the Celtics were going to run away with it like at halftime. And then the second half came and it just kind of felt like one of those like Warriors Celtics of last year where they start to get punched in the mouth and they can't get respond and or they can't respond. They get kind of like, I don't know. I just didn't see that same fight from the Boston Celtics this game one. John, what did you see? Jimmy Butler is Jason Tatum's father. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. That's, that's, a, that's a little, that's definitely an overreaction for only one game. But I mean, the Miami Heat are just nobody. They, we always count them out. The media counts them out. Nobody believes in them, but they always prove you wrong. I mean, they are a team that is so well coached, Eric Spolstra, and that they play hard regardless of who's on the court and regardless of how many points they're down. 
or what the circumstances are. And that's, those are the moments why, and then it's that, that's the reason why the Miami came back. Those are the moments that make up teams of, those are championship caliber teams, right? When you're able to do that. I'm not saying that they're going to win the championship this year, but you put yourself in a good position when you play hard for 48 minutes, regardless of the situation. I did have a question for you too. Is Jimmy Butler one of the most underappreciated and overlooked stars in our league in the last, I don't know, five, ten years? Yes, definitely. I would say so. He always comes through in the playoffs. And uh, John, that, that question, when you ask that question, I always think of the following that Ever since he left Philly, he's been to the Eastern Conference Finals three times. And Philly, who has an assortment of talent, including an MVP caliber player in Embiid, has gone zero. Zero Eastern Conference Finals, right? Yeah. And I mean, look, look at the support that Jimmy Butler has too. We've said this other pods as well, but I mean, starting lineup, Gabe Vincent, Max Truce, Bam Adebayo, Kevin Love. I mean, Bam Adebayo is only like the only dude that's like really worth mentioning because the other three are like, I don't even know what you're going to get from these guys. But with this last game, they got consistent three point shooting um, as opposed to the Boston Celtics. I think that was a huge part of it. I don't know what's going to happen for game two tomorrow. I'm going to ask for you guys' prediction here. John, what do you think is going to happen? I hate saying this, but I, I don't think Boston loses tomorrow. I don't I don't think there's a scenario where they lose. They're probably going to play desperate. And honestly, if they lose tomorrow, the series is probably over. Yeah. Because I don't, because I don't think Jimmy Butler is going to allow the Heat to lose two games at home, right? They're going to win one of those. And being down 3-1 without home court advantage is a tall task so it's a must win and for that reason i think boston's gonna pull it out what about you jay (laughs) i hate saying it too um boston's going to win though they need to find a way to make robert williams more effective because this is a defensive player of the year caliber player and he was a minus 14 by far the worst plus minus out of all the celtic players and he's usually in the plus so they got to find out how to incorporate him on defense make him play that free safety or you know that roamer as like uh ad would but uh out of bio man he's been repping hard and i love these stories especially from their underdogs so kudos to uh, the heat as long uh, as the Celtics do not win at all, guys. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it's already terrible that they would win at all, right? That the Boston Celtics would win at all. But if Dave Portnoy oh my from Barstool Sports, if that fool wins, is then then all hope is lost. I'm just straight up calling it a year, man. Let's move on to 2024. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go with the Heat, actually. I'm going to go Ooh, for the oh, big wow, upset. Okay. I'm going to go for something wild. I'm going to say Jimmy Butler lays it all on the line and they pull out game two as well. But we're going to go. Right. Dude, I hope I'm right too. Because otherwise, well, I'm not going to talk about this next pod. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go to our next topic here. 
We all saw the NBA lotto. We were all kind of like biting our nails, trying to see who's trying to predict who's going to get Victor Wembanyama. And the Rockets got the pick at number four. And I actually have a, a video here that RJ could pull up of Victor Wembanyama when uh, the Rockets got the fourth pick. The Blazers <laughs> got the number three pick. Actually, let's just pause right there. Victor Wembanyama in this video, cheering, literally cheering that the, that he's not gonna go to the Rockets. What do you guys think of this reaction here? <laughs> I think he's been listening to a. Uh... John Wall's podcast too much. <laughs> but John, uh, he, he, he's... I mean, how could you blame him, man? You see that youth, that talented team and their discipline or lack thereof. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go there either. John, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's funny. I mean, at least he's being honest, right? You know, yeah. guys just want to go to certain teams. They want to go to certain cities. But yeah, JJ's right. The, the team, they have youth. They have some talent. Uh, Sanguine, I, I love him as a center, but they, they're just immature. They don't have those that you know, that veteran. I, I think it would be a bad place for Wemby too. I don't think that they have that culture, the winning mm -hmm. culture and the veteran leadership to mold him into the type of player we know he can become. And so I think that would hinder him despite him being an, an all, you know, all-worldly talent. So I, I think it's funny, though. Yeah, <laughs> Glad absolutely. they got it documented, for sure. I, I'm uh... glad they got it documented as well. I just kind of wonder, like, what if the Rockets got the number one pick? Like, what kind of reaction he would have had? <laughs> it would have been much bigger than this. <laughs> but the Blazers ended, ended up getting number three. Hornets number two. And, of course, the San Antonio Spurs... No! Win probably one of the biggest lotteries in NBA history, allegedly, by getting Victor Wimbanyama, who's a complete unicorn of an NBA player. Like, you make up this player in NBA 2K, you know, you put the height all the way to 7'3", <laughs> you give him ball handling skills, you let him dunk, he's got range with shooting. Literally, a video game type player they get, okay? What do you guys think of the fit of Wemby going to the Spurs with Popovich, et cetera, et cetera? JJ, what do you think? Uh, San Antonio, they made it to the playoffs 20 straight, 20 straight years during the 2000s. And then here's a fun stat for you two. The Spurs have only had three seasons below 300. 88, 96, and 2022. And because of those years, they got the Admiral, Dave Robinson, they got Timmy Duncan, and now <laughs> they get to have this cultural phenom, this basketball phenom in Wemby. So, of course, of course, John, this first got the second coming of LeBron James. So annoying. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm. It's not like the Spurs ever had a generational big man ever, right? So it's totally fine. Yeah, totally or okay. success. They've never had success. Yeah, before. they never had success. I mean, just making the playoffs like 55 straight years. So, one thing about Wemby is that I look. I have nothing against the kid. I've seen the highlights. I've seen him play. I've seen the things that he does that are like Bro said. 
NBA 2K like, right? Sometimes you can't even do that in 2K without the game glitching or your your the, the game malfunctioning. But the reality is, to me, is that I I did not like and listen. I know LeBron James is a Laker, but I would say this regardless. The, the amount of disrespect that we give LeBron James, or the media is giving LeBron James, saying that Wemby is the best prospect ever, yeah, is to me is I, I don't I don't like that, and I'm not blaming Wemby for it, but I think it's a little like, can we just chill? You know, we're definitely counting all of our eggs before they hatch because to me, oh, man, like, and Roe may disagree, but like, I feel like this is recency bias. I don't know if you guys remember, but look at LeBron James, that. Him as a prospect, and look what he's become. And I, I don't know. I just don't like it. Just, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But bro, I feel like your reaction, you disagree. I, I will say this: it, it's one and two when it comes down to it. As far as being an NBA prospect, you could switch them both, right? You could switch, you know, LeBron James first or Wemby first. The thing that I see, like with Wembenyama, that I didn't see in LeBron James, is that when LeBron James was coming to into the league, there was questions about his shooting. Uh, there wasn't questions about his IQ, but there was questions about like his clutchness, right? There were still questions about him. With Wembenyama, it's like he's got the shooting, he's got the touch around the rim, he's got defensive blocks, he's got like he's got all of these things. He's got height. He's been relatively healthy. Like he's got all of these things going into it, where it's like I could see why someone would say that, and it's not like such a crazy thing to say. It's just we know how the story ends with LeBron James, and we don't know how the story ends with Wemby. And I think that's why it's too much of a like a clickbait statement. Like I wouldn't okay. necessarily commit yeah. to that answer, but I could see how someone can get there. That's fair. You made a you made a. a valid argument here but i will ask you one question wow. in response to that do you think you said that there's no question marks in his game and that's fair because he's shown the ability to have no weaknesses in his yeah. game but there's one thing that in my mind do you think his body and his stature at his height the weight do you think that's going to that could potentially oh, affect his career because i will bring a name out there Someone who has similar stature, similar height, who's actually shorter, Chet Holmgren, and right. he suffered a Liz Frank, a serious injury. So I'm I'm not wishing that. Obviously, I hope that Wemby has a 20-year career. I'm just saying, guys of this that unusual, very eight, um, unorthodox or just uncommon stature and build. Those are those guys have a tendency to be less durable. I, I agree. Uh, I'm I'm concerned just because we've never seen it done before. Like there's there's this guy's literally a unicorn. Like we've never seen someone like this before at seven three. So I don't know. I think he's seven five. Is he seven five? Seven three. I'm not sure. He's he's definitely up there, the tallest that we've seen move this way. Because the closest comparison that I could even think of would be Kevin Durant. And Sorry, Kevin Durant, two. Kevin Durant's like what six eleven, mm -hmm. or something like that. So yeah. I don't know those extra four inches. It's like I I get worried about you know knee health, ligament health, all that stuff. JJ, do you sort of think the same way? Well, when we think about 
basketball history, has there anyone of this stature that has been healthy? Like what John was saying, like Yao Ming had so much height. Yao yeah. Ming had even had more muscle than Wemby, and Yao Ming was out for a long time, guys. Yeah, his career wasn't. He didn't play a long career. He was definitely injured frequently, and so, and Yao Ming had like a a big build. He had girth. Yeah. He had his, yeah. he had thick, big legs. So, again, and there's the Manu Bull. From the past, obviously, and there are a lot of players. There are some players of that stature. It's just, you know, that's my one thing about Wemby. Like LeBron James' body, his physical stature allowed him this longevity. You know, right? You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, that's my one thing about Wemby that I, I would caution. But I agree. Again, crossing fingers. You're still taking them at one, though. Like yeah, there's no yeah. other choice. Like there's no, no way. There's like, no other choice. Like Scoot Henderson and like Brandon Miller are nice, but there's no way you pass up on Wemby, no, even though no, he's the, the, at like seven three or whatever. The risk, he is. the risk outweighs. I mean, the, the rewards out, outweigh the risk, right? And so you yeah. live with the decision, like, but you can't pass up the opportunity to, to draft somebody who you've never seen have a combination of those skills and that stature. Absolutely. Um. I actually want to talk about Dame Lillard. He had uh, this to say on Twitter. I guess someone posted muting all of you that are undervaluing the Blazers number three pick and insisting on trading Dame. What is wrong with you all? You think we suffered this long to go out like that? Goodbye. And then Dame Lillard responded. He said, if the fans want to trade me, start the petition and send it in kind of a feisty little (laughs) response from damian lillard who's supposed to be the most beloved person in portland oregon what do you guys think is going through damian lillard's mind as he posts this i don't know if we're looking too much into this but it, it sounded sort of strange what do you guys think i feel like do you think he's slowly trying to build a narrative Ooh. that the fans are the ones that want him gone <clears throat> and by doing that essentially deflecting all of the blame when he does get leave because in my mind that's a smart way I, and again this is maybe it's just him yeah poking fun at the comment and making a crack at, at some of the fans that are talking all this gibberish about him getting traded but again, there's also part of me that thinks, well, maybe he's slowly maneuvering and, and building that narrative so that the optics behind it are, hey, they're the ones who wanted me gone, not me. And so when he leaves, he still has that love and adoration from Portland. Wow. Thoughts? I like that's, it. I'll, that's some conspiracy theory stuff. John, John's probably <laughs> a master at breakups too, dude. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Getting broken up with, not break, not doing the breaking up. That's what happened to John. That's the, yeah. That's yeah. how we should clarify. JJ, what do you what do you think of this? And what do you think of like John's little like take on maybe this is his plan to make an exit from Portland? I mean, I love it, man. Because the way that I think think of it from a like psychological standpoint is. You know that you're always on Twitter. You know that Twitter is a dark, savage, 
unreasonable place. People will name、right. you for trades, and that's not a new thing. The fact that he's responding to a random Twitter user now, it's like, why? Like, you've even, Dame, you've clowned on KD for responding at Twitter users, but now you're doing yourself to control a narrative. And we know that he's unhappy. We know that the Unblazers organization hasn't really provided him the best surrounding help. And、right. with the change of like、um, the owner, which is Jody Allen, their history of being cheap, and now these trade talks, why is Dame doing it? And it's been rumored that the Blazers. Are shopping that third round pick or that third pick? Yeah. It's because who are they gonna get? They have two guards. Right. They're, so, Jay, you're, you're kind of nailing it right on the head here. I think the reason why Damian Lillard is frustrated is because he's hearing about these potential guards that they could draft in Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. And the logical thing to think is well, I don't think we're going to be able to build a, a team around Damian Lillard in time for him to win a championship. So maybe just draft Scoot Henderson if he's available or Brandon Miller and trade Damian Lillard and just do a whole rebuild around Anthony Simons, you know,、um, Jeremy Grant, Shaden Sharp. That doesn't sound like such a bad idea, especially with Damian Lillard. He's entering like his mid 30s, right? With a contract that will hit 60 million. 60 million. In a few years, John and June, 60 for an aging player. How old is Dame? I can look it up right now. I want to say he's 31, 32. 32. Okay. You know. I already hear of Ro making excuses for Dane. <laughs> Ro will never. Ro will, Ro will never ever hate Dane. Love Dane. He could. Love Dane. He could, he could spit on Portland and Ro would love him forever. No, that, I'm kidding. But honestly, if I, I'm thinking, I just. This came to me. But if I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, I offer up whatever I can to get Dame Lillard there with, with Joel Embiid. I don't know. That just, to me. Even giving up Maxi, I think, you, you, with a combination of players like Tobias Harris, I feel like you do that trade. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Just, I like I, it. Yeah, right? I think that puts the Sixers up there. Like, those two together is, would be absolutely nasty. Dame Lillard, also in the city of Philadelphia, I think would be a lot of fun, too. Like, I, I feel like his.、Um, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think freestyle rapping or rapping in Portland, Oregon. I don't think it really hits、no. that hard. You know. No. 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 It, it'll probably hit、yeah. better in in Philly. In Philly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move us、yeah. on to the next topic here. Doc Rivers, man, fired. Doc Rivers is fired, and according to multiple staff members, they felt the driving force out of all this was not only the none. I mean, sorry, was. The one and only James Harden. And it's a belief that within the Philadelphia 76ers organization,、um, the star played a key role in the firing of Doc Rivers this week. I'm, 
I'm, I, I don't know what to even think about this. There's a lot of like ties into like Houston, ex-Houston stuff that I'm sure we will all talk about. But what do you guys think? Was this warranted um, the firing of Doc Rivers from Philly? What do you guys think? I mean, I just don't like... This has to be the first time that Doc Rivers has blown a 3-2 lead, right? Or a 3-1 lead? <laughs> By JJ's laugh, I would imagine that maybe I'm way off base here, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we're going to check the stats or check the reports. Look, I mean, guys, at some point, I don't know, man. Like, Doc Rivers, I'm sure he's a nice guy. But when you give up series leads as much as he does, and when you have star player after star player at your disposal. I mean, look at the teams that he's coached, right? Mm -hmm. And he only has one title to show for it. Like, and don't get me wrong, all coaches have to have great players, transcendent players, superstar players to win titles. But to have Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, and only win one title, but also to have James Harden, you know, coaching James Harden, Joel Embiid, Obviously, uh, coaching Clippers and Lob City, and not even they never even made it to the Western Conference Finals. Like to me, he has his 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 history and his track record has shown that he's not that great of a coach. And is it warranted? Yes, I believe it is. I don't like they had an opportunity to win at home in Game Six against Boston. That was the game to win. That's a must-win game, and the team didn't even come out prepared. Like, they looked flat, they looked bad, they didn't have a game plan. I don't see them running plays out of timeouts. I don't see them calling timeouts at critical moments. So those are those are coach things. Those are coaches' decisions, and those are things that coaches should do. So to me, it was 100% warranted. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Oh, man. So when you have past players talk about their coach in a negative way that's never a good sign so who am i referring to our boy rashid wallace before he even got fired said glenn needs to get out of philly okay you have jj reddick that said on air espn it's justified that doc rivers was terminated and then the other day with uh, Rachel Nichols, yeah, Matt Barnes said that, yes, it was justified. And all three of those ex-players said the same thing, which is Doc Rivers, horrible, horrible at making adjustments. And you know what that comes down to, man? Like, that's reflected in when you lead a series 3-2 or 3-1, and June, I know you texted us the other day this pretty important infographic, and um, I'm sure you have it up, but he's lost how many... Tell the listeners, how many series has he lost leading three, two, or better as a head coach, man? He has lost seven series. He lost uh, one in 03, 09... 2010, 2012, 2015, 2020, and 2023. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're when you up and you lose, that means, like John said, you're not making the correct adjustments. And 
I feel bad for, well, John won't feel bad, but I kind of feel bad for Sammy's Clippers teams <laughs> because yeah. I think everyone thought, especially at 2013, 20, 2014, that Clippers, they were like one of the most talented teams. And to never even make it to the Western Conference Finals, Doc should be ashamed of himself. Yeah, that, that one in, in 2015 where they blew it against the Houston Rockets, I felt like that one was, like, unforgivable. Like, 2015, they should have just, like, put, like, Doc Rivers on a boat and just send him to Shanghai, dude. Like, you coach you coach there now just because it was that bad. Yeah. It was not good. Uh, like, why do you guys think that he gets such a pass from a narrative or optic standpoint. I know he gets fired and let go, but in terms of just how people perceive him or the media perceives him, that he's just this all-time great coach. Why do you think that is? And I'm, I've been trying to think about it and, and understand why, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. it. To me, it's that Lakers ring, John. Because when he was with the Magic, those were 12-win teams. Not like... 12 wins in a month of April. 12 wins in a season. <laughs> right. He goes to the Celtics. He has like yeah. some seasons where he wins like 22 games with Paul Pierce. And then all of a sudden you get, you get Paul, um, you know, um, you get Ray Allen. You get Kevin KG. Garnett. And then who, John, we've talked about this. Who was their defensive, quote unquote, defensive coordinator? Uh, Thibodeau. Bibbs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that and then, was that that team was a defensive juggernaut with KG leading the squad. Yeah, like he, I think he has the Larry Brown treatment. Like, oh, you win one championship, you're all, you're forever greatest of all time. You're yeah. cemented. You have that your <laughs> leg that legacy. I Crazy think the, to me. I think the future for Doc Rivers is he's going to be a great like assistant pretty soon here in the next coming years and then maybe try to make him his way back into head coaching again but i don't think he gets another head coaching job straight up after this i don't think it happens what do you guys think yeah maybe not man maybe he should just join mark jackson and, and form the worst commentary <laughs> that we've ever seen I, I mean he used to be an analyst way back in the day remember you guys remember yeah, that i do yeah. remember that I remember he had a completely different voice too. His voice has <laughs> changed over the years, but that's actually all we have for tonight's pod, you guys. JJ, I want to thank you for being on, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you all. John, thanks for being on. Hey, at this, I'm, I'm gonna, I know it might sound like an idiot here, but I'm saying it. Lakers Nuggets tied 2-2 going into game five. Oh man, let's go. And of course, shout out to Sammy and shout out to our video producer, RJ. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All NBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All NBA. I'm Rose Sapanto. This is Clinic All NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts. Dylan, Dylan, and Dylan.